Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S., and each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. All right, welcome to CBS Eye on Veterans. Again, I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs, reporting for the military news and veteran lifestyle website, ConnectingVets.com. Now, our guest today is an author whose novel blends terrifying real-world scenarios together with counterterrorism unit that operates beyond the White House, State Department, and even international diplomacy at times. End of Days is the 16th thriller featuring Pike Logan, a veteran badass who's a former special operations commando, now elite task force member that operates as essentially a black ops contractor. And he does it alongside his trusty and equally tough fiance, Jennifer Cahill, who has been part of death-defying missions all around the world and even parenthood, as they raised together an adopted teenage daughter. Now, as we're about to hear, End of Days combines the frightening reality of the COVID era along with assassinations, a religious organization bent on fulfilling the prophecy known as End of Days. There are times it feels like the world we're living in is actually seeing the centuries-old biblical prophecy come true. So with that, here to simultaneously frighten and thrill us, is Spec Ops veteran, national security consultant, and best-selling author, former Lieutenant Colonel Brad Taylor. Brad, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Indeed. Now, you know, as we riffed before, I loved how your last book, American Trader, dealt with China and Taiwan. It ended with one of the characters sniffling, had a head cold. I was like, oh, look at you tying this right to COVID. But man, can I tell you, I almost called you last, what was it, fall? Or coming up on the holiday season when the jets were flying around Taiwan, China was showing its force. Biden actually came out and told China that if there was any invasion, we would retaliate. Those were the stakes going on in your last novel. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it could, you know, I don't like to be the prognosticator or, you know, oppression, but when it all started boiling up, I'm like, holy moly, here it comes. 
That is crazy. And um, if you haven't heard Brad's a podcast episode, scroll back through the list here and listen to the American Trader episode, because what you talked about in that, the actual how close we really are to war or to some sort of not war, but some sort of like really major nasty conflict with proxy groups involved with China is so eerie. And, um, you know, obviously you're not going to help me sleep at night. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> Let's get to this one. First, bring the, bring the audience up to speed on um, why you can write these novels so accurately with your military, your intel, your global counterterrorism experience. Um, you were on more than just an ODA. You're a former member of 1st Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta, uh, which has books and movies made all about Delta Force itself. But tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, I served, uh, uh, served 22 years in the military. Started out, you know, straight leg infantry. My whole goal was going to special forces, and, and I did. I went through SFAS and uh, the Q course, and then did a tour of duty on Okinawa, uh, and then wanted something a little bit more. And so I tried out for the unit and uh, made it through. And then I served in the unit the rest of my career, basically, and um, you know, multiple troops in the squadron, and and that's what I did. <laughs> right on. And again, as most of the missions, you know, we would never even hear about or even know about uh, every time I see you write something from personal experience, you bring to it a real knowledge base because you've seen things, uh, you know, like governments fall. You've seen things like exfilling Americans out of a dangerous place. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Delta Force, right, it, it's mission set or, or it's known as hostage rescue, right? Isn't that kind of it's like America's 911? Uh, yeah, they they were formed up for that purpose, uh, but they've obviously expanded their envelope of capabilities to they're problem solvers is what they are. It started out as hostage rescue based on GSG nine and some failures we had in the uh, um, uh, hostage rescue realm. But Beckwith, the founder of the, of the unit, uh, always in his mind had a full capability scope, and they certainly have that now. Tip of the spear, to say the least. All right, now while your real world experience may not be exactly like the main character in your novels, Pike Logan. I once read that you said operators like yourself often fantasized about how great it would be to actually have a unit like this that can go off the grid so easily and do, as you just said, solve problems. Yeah, but I mean, there's a reason we don't. Uh, every law that's made, uh, the law that's made is because somebody was given the rope and then hung themselves. Um, for instance, uh, the uh, covert action itself is codified in Title 50 United States Code. That didn't happen until after Iran Contra. I mean, it was, they, they didn't, there was no law about, okay, what do we mean by covert action and what has to happen? Uh, so now you have findings that have to go in front of the uh, gang of eight, or at least, uh, uh, you know, the Senate uh, gang of eight has to see it. It could be the whole Congress. Uh, there's all kinds of laws now that are built into the system. And every one of those laws are built because somebody did something stupid. So yeah, while I, we did used to fantasize about it, I can see why we didn't do it because somebody in the past, was given the ability to do such a thing as a task force and then ran amok with it and did something stupid. So in a way, sometimes your personal feelings uh, while you were in are very similar to Pike Logan's when they have to go back to the White House or some legislators are talking about approving a mission and Pike's wringing his hands, wishing he could just get in the fight, but it still needs to go through some checks and balances. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean... Uh, people would be surprised. I mean, we have, there's Pike Logan exists in the world. I mean, I've served with them. I'm not Pike Logan, but I've certainly served with them. But in order to get anything done, there are a, a bazillion wickets. So you've got to get approval, first of all, from the Department of Defense. Uh, then you've got to get approval from the State Department. You've got to get approval from the CIA. And you've got to get a deployment order from the President of the United States. And all those guys have a, a reason why this shouldn't happen. Uh, no, the wheat crop in Kenya is, you know, really important for the next presidential election. You can't come in here and get this terrorist. 
there's always somebody who can say no. And uh, that got to be really frustrating. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, if you read the history of special operations, of the CIA, of all these things that have gone on, the history is replete with guys who did something wrong and it was like, hey, we got to prevent that from happening again. So we understood it. While we didn't like it, we certainly understood it. I, I understood why they were doing it. I just didn't like the fact that they were doing it. I wanted to say, I'm not that guy. Yeah, I got he did something bad, but I'm not going to do something bad. Someday when the microphone's off and the campfire's lit, I want to sit down and talk to you about uh, some of your greatest <laughs> hits, <laughs> which we can't record, but I love it. You need, needless to say, your experience lends great to writing these books so accurately. And uh, these are these global counterterrorism thrillers. Uh, let's move through some storylines in the book here. First of all, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't give it away, but I'm never going friggin' hang gliding. Thanks to the first three pages <laughs> of this book. Um, pick me up there and then let's walk through how Pike Logan and Jennifer uh, have been quarantined down in Charleston, South Carolina and getting ready to have a wedding and their Israeli friends bring them um, a very uncomfortable wedding gift. <laughs> yeah, I actually, the, the hardest part about writing this book. So I wrote, you mentioned American Trader and the guy had a sniffle at the end. And then uh, as I'm writing this book, this was in complete lockdown. I couldn't do boots on the ground. For American Trader, I went to Taiwan. I went to Australia. went all over the place. And I couldn't fly anywhere for this book. I mean, it was just done. Everybody was locked in. And, you know, the EU was saying no Americans allowed here. Everybody was saying you're not flying anywhere. And I was like, how am I going to sort this out? And then I found out that the uh, Israelis had a huge vaccination program going on, and they were allowed to fly everywhere, which kind of initiated the, okay, I have a couple of Israelis. I've got Aaron Shoshana. Let me wicker this plot that way. And uh, I about 10% of the research I do uh, on the ground ends up in a book. And so I, uh, my wife had actually done the paragliding in, it, in Switzerland, had the videos and all that. And so I started going through my old research and saying, okay, what have you not used in a book, but you've been there. And I love, again, how throughout all these books, you've been to these places, you've tasted, you've touched, you've smelled the air, like, you know, real life, what's kind of going on here. And um, after that nasty hang gliding opening, uh, we do meet Aaron and Shoshana. Um, share with me a little bit about what's getting ready to go down with them. Yeah. So the, the guy that gets killed, uh, I mean, it, I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler, but it happens in chapter two. So <laughs> it's not much of a spoiler. He's an old Ramsad. Ramsad is the uh, head of the Mossad. That's uh, what they call him. And uh, he actually has been threaded throughout the books. He's He's been in several times. Um, as uh, kind of a mentor to Shoshana and Aaron. Aaron and Shoshana used to be on what's called a Samson team, which is a real unit that used to do penetrations in the West Bank, or I'm sorry, Gaza Strip. And uh, when they gave Gaza Strip back, they disbanded the unit. And so I formulated them and said, well, they're not going to disband it. They're going to turn them into this basically Wrath of God team that's going to go around the world. So they had a huge connection, but he's since retired, been long retired. and he gets murdered and the murders pinned on Kitab Hezbollah, which is a militia in Iraq. They're the ones that are always rocketing our bases. They're the ones that just flew the drones over just a couple of days ago. Uh, and they're owned by Iran. It's not to be confused with Hezbollah in Lebanon. Kitab Hezbollah is a different thing. Hezbollah means party of God. So everybody uses that term, but it's not the same thing. Uh, but they're expanding exponentially. They're in Syria. Every time you see a strike, in fact, we just did a strike on a bunch of rockets that were going to hit one of our, our camps in Syria, that was Kitab Hezbollah. So they're going around the world and they're going to pin this on this group. The Mossad as a whole is saying, okay, let's go take it to Iran. Certain elements are like, this doesn't smell right. And so Aaron and Shoshana are given the mission to figure out what, what's going on here. 
it's crazy again, how this is so not just parallel, but almost inspired by real world groups that you personally know of. Um, when you talk Katab Hezbollah, expand on that just a little bit. Are, is that the same group that was making those, uh, well, what is it? EFPs, those explosive penetrating um, IEDs that could, you know, basically hit our tanks and our MRAPs yeah. and everything. They're, they weren't making them. They were supplied by the Quds force in, in Iran, but yes, they're the ones that were using them. They're the ones that were penetrating our armor. And it's been a kind of a weird road because Katab Hezbollah fought us religiously, literally, uh, during the high of the Iraq war, the surge and all that. Well, then when ISIS formed up, they fought ISIS alongside us. And we had kind of a peace treaty. Don't attack us. We won't attack you if you're attacking ISIS. And we all did. Well, I mean, just two days ago, the uh, uh, leader of Katab Hezbollah is like, get all the United States soldiers out of here. Well, there's a reason that's happening. That's because Iran wants a land bridge between Iraq to Syria so they can fund Hezbollah. Uh, but they're completely controlled by Iran. And one of the actually, when we killed uh, General Soleimani uh, literally a year ago, a couple of days ago, or two years ago, a couple of days ago, when we uh, blew him up with a drone strike, most people didn't get the second guy in that car. The second guy in that car was the leader of Qatab Hezbollah. He's, he was blown up too. And Qatab Hezbollah said from that moment on, we're, you know, you know death to America, we're going to take it to him. Man. Just goes to show you if you're if you're unaware of how things work, especially with the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, it's it's so often that there are proxy forces within these countries that we're fighting. They're not locals. They're not from Iraq. They've been trained elsewhere. They come in and it just plain frustrates me every time I hear about one of these groups that's backed by Iran that nobody ever faces off with Iran. And I don't know you know, whether that's end of days also, but I mean, it would seem to me that the fight between Riyadh and Tehran, the hatred between Israel and, and Iran, I mean, it's, if it's never going anywhere, it needs to be addressed. Otherwise we're just playing whack-a-mole with all these little damn groups. Yeah. They're, I mean, but the difference is, I mean, do you want to go to war? You don't want to go to war with Iran. I can tell you that right now. There's distinct differences between our fight in Afghanistan and our fight in Iraq and our fight with Iran. I mean, huge differences. Number one, cyber is now going to be a weapon. Uh, Iran has an enormous hacking capability. You're going to have, you know, uh, pipelines shut down. You're going to have banks shut down. You're going to have, it's going to be a huge fight. Number two, most of the fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan outside of like the Taliban would run to Pakistan and in in Iraq, they came in from Syria. It's localized stuff. Uh, Iran owns Hezbollah and they are worldwide. They are in South America. They're in the United States. They tried to kill the Saudi ambassador in the United States. They're everywhere. And if you fight Iran, it's going to be a global fight. When they think their regime's going down, there's, you know, Katie bar the door. It's going to be a huge fight. Number three, there's nobody to take over Iran. There is no Thomas Jefferson waiting in the wings. People think that there's going to be some kind of, um, you know, if we, everybody in Iran hates the theocratic government. Well, that may be true. You know, maybe they don't like the way the government's running, but it, you know, when Donald Trump was elected, he had all these people in the streets saying, you know, resist, resist, resist. Would they want North Korea coming in and taking out Donald Trump? No, they're Americans at the end of the day. And it's the same with Iran. There's nobody that's going to, you know, throw roses in our path. We go in there. It's going to be a fight to the death. And I I think that people will talk about, you know, let's take it to Iran. I'm like, you, you have no concept of what that fight will be. Wow. Mm, All the more reason I love to just sit and ask guys like you. 
uh, that have that viewpoint have had that vantage point. Um, back to the book. I, I know Katab Hezbollah in this book, uh, uh, there's things with the drones, but I, I, I guess I didn't know if those tactics is that, you know, as possible as cyber threats. Oh yeah. That's the next phase. Uh, Azerbaijan just had a fight. Um, and one side was outsourced by, um, Russia full of tanks. The other side was outsourced buying a bunch of drones and they used drones. The Samad three drone I used in the book is the same drones that took out the Saudi oil facilities. They can fly forever, put them in a GPS grid. They're almost impossible to take down. So like the Iron Dome system in uh, Israel and our own protective status, uh, they're all based on missiles. They're not based on a drone that flies slow. They're based on something that's freaking in. And drones are from the quadcopter with a bomb on it. We just shot down two of them that were headed into uh, uh, Biop. Uh, I'm not even sure what they call it now, but it used to be called Biop the base where the soldiers are, they just shot down three of them trying to blow up American soldiers. And those are just quadcopters. The Samad three is about the, you know, half size of a predator. Uh, and it's nothing but a suicide drone. It's just got a big giant payload and it flies low and slow. And you're, you, you're not going to see it. It flies super slow to the low to the ground. Iron dome can't pick it up. None of those things can pick it up. And it crippled the Saudi oil infrastructure for about four days. And they're firing those things all the time. Now, if you feel uneasy about today's reality of terrorist drone strikes, like those depicted in the book End of Days, then you'll be equally uneasy about the next part of our interview. Ancient religious texts, uh, you know, part of it based on the book of Revelation, but uh, there's a prophecy all throughout the Bible and about how the end of days will look. And talk to me a little bit about how you wove that into this book and you know, who believes in it? There are Americans and evangelical Christians that stand by this. Kind of unpack all that for me. Yeah, it's it's actually, it's. I mean, it's in the Bible, the book of Daniel. It's throughout Revelations, as you said. And a lot of people, uh, for most Christians, they buy into it a little bit, myself included. I mean, you you buy into the fact that Jesus rose from the dead after three days, and you, you buy into the fact that he's Christ. Uh, and some people buy into the strict literal interpretation, but it is infused. Uh, throughout our culture. Uh, there's a book, uh, Late Great Planet Earth in the 1970s, was the number one bestseller for months. It's exactly that. Uh, Left Behind, the book series just a couple of years ago, is New York Times bestselling book. It's based on that. Uh, the movie came out, it's based on that. Um, and basically, there's certain things that have to happen that uh, will bring about the second coming of Christ. And some people believe more than others on how that's going to happen. And uh, it used to be in the old days, and when I say old days, like 1950s, previously to like the Civil War, people would look at what's happened in the Civil War and start saying, okay, that's a sign of the end of days. They were all looking for signs. Well, then uh, uh, something happened. It was, it, according to biblical prophecy, the Jews have to reclaim the promised land, which everybody's like, that's never going to happen. Well, then after World War II, they got Israel. Uh, and everybody's like, holy moly, that's exactly what the Bible says. And so now they started looking at it. Well, then they have to own all the promised land from the uh, uh, banks of the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. That didn't happen. It was a partition. And then the 1967 war happened and they took over Jerusalem and they took over the Temple Mount. 
which were the first two temples were built. And according to prophecy, the third temple has to be built there for the second coming of Christ. They took over the Temple Mount, and now everybody was like, holy moly, this is all coming true. But Israel, because they wanted to exist as a nation smartly, did not uh, take control of the Temple Mount. They ceded that control to Jordan under the Islamic walk. They're the ones that maintained control of that, and they said, I'm not going to do this. Well, that aggravated enough people. Now we're like 1960s, 1970s. They're like, okay, I'm sick of waiting. Let's force this. We need to get them taking over the Temple Mount. We need, there's certain things. I mean, it's even as weird as there was a, uh, one of the prophecies is before the coming of Christ, there has to be a purely red heifer. And that means red eyes, red nose, red hair, everything's red, red skin. And so everybody's waiting on this calf to be born. Well, there's a guy in Montana who's an evangelical Christian who raises cattle. And he said, hell, I'll do that. And he flew to Israel, brought a bunch of cows and started breeding them. He's trying to produce that red heifer to get it to go. And that's a true story. And so there's some people that really take it. So it's moved from uh, just looking at the signs and waiting to I'm going to create the sign and see what happens. Wow. And as a Christian myself, uh, actually studied a little bit, little bit about the book of Revelation and the seven seals and the seven bowls of grain. And, and um, it is eerie how the real world inches closer to some of these prophecies about the end of times. Most of it comes out of the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel. There's some real specific statements in those books. This is what has to happen. Third Temple, Red Heifer, these specific things. Revelations is one of those books where anybody can tag something to something because it says, you know, seven seals. Oh, look, there's seven people over there. They must be the seven seals. And so that's what happened. Like in the Civil War, they were looking at the book of Revelations and saying, you know, Gettysburg happened. Oh, that means this in the Bible. Uh, even when I was a kid, you know, the bear's going to fight the eagle. It's like, oh, this must be us in the Soviet Union. You know, it's <laughs> very interesting. And you're right. People are constantly trying to forward their own thing to meet what they think the narrative is. Uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. I'll leave you with this on the religious aspect. My pastor once said, though, that uh, one of the things to be cautious of is every generation is so proud that it thinks they're the ones that are going to usher in the end of days right. in a way. Like you got to be cautious of like how you think like it's so bad now versus something you have no context of knowing a thousand years ago, nor will you know what it's like a thousand years from now. So uh, we should be cautious to be too proud that we think these are the days that God is going to come and save us. You also found a unique kind of bad guy in this as we switch gears from hunting terrorists. You find a unique enemy in the Knights of Malta, uh, a centuries-old religious group. How in the heck did you research this group during COVID? And tell me a little bit about them. Yeah, so actually what happened was I was doing research for Ring of Fire, um, which is a few books ago. Came back from Morocco, went all over Spain, had a two-day layover uh, in Rome, about to fly home. And just became a great American tourist with my wife and took a Segway tour. And we're driving around Rome, looking at everything. And this car came by with diplomatic plates. And the guy, our guide says, oh, that's one of the Knights of Malta, which I'd never heard of. I said, what, I don't, what is a Knight of Malta? What do you mean? And he had diplomatic plates on his car. And so he gave me a little quick class and it fascinated me. They've been around since Crusades. They started out in the first Crusade. They've been around ever since. They actually, you know, everybody's heard Knights Templar. Well, Knights Templar all got burned at the stake by the Pope, and all of their lands and and treasures were given to the Knights of Malta. Knights of Malta understood it's always better to be number two than number one. And so they stayed that way, and they've been around ever since. They're, by international law, considered a sovereign country, but they own no terrain. Well, they have a hospital in Malta. 
and they rent a house in Rome. Like he took me to the magisterial palace and then Rome has given them that. And they've been there ever since. They make their own coins. They have their own stamps. They have their own passports. They have a seat at the UN, but they own no terrain. It's just a really unique organization. And so I said to myself, one of these days, I'm putting them in a book. Wow. Did you have to go there to get more or just in your previous travels, did you know enough to weave this together? I actually didn't. I didn't go there specifically. I'd been there. I know where the palace is. I've been to all their locations because it fascinated me back then. In fact, I was in uh, Switzerland doing research for another book, and uh, I always wanted to put them in a book. And so I asked the, the tour guide, hey, which was this lady who was 85 years old. And she was smoking me in the ground. I mean, she was in shape. And I said, hey, are there any Knights of Malta here in uh, Switzerland? And she showed me her Maltese cross ring and said, we don't talk about that mixed company. She wouldn't say anything else. And I'm like, wow, now I really want to write about them. So what I did, there's a lot of research you can do on them. They're all over the place. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories. And they actually, I hope I did them some service because they do do a lot of good in the world. They, they're, they've gone back to humanitarian roots. I mean, for a while there, they were like the Knights Templar and they were out slaughter. And then it became a naval force, actually. And they actually are credited with saving Europe from the Ottoman Empire on the, uh, of Malta with their Navy ships. They were a big naval force. And then Napoleon took them over. I'm just going into a lot of history here, but they, uh, they're a good organization. They do a lot of good around the world. They're all humanitarian, but they have huge conspiracy theories around them. I mean, I've seen, you know, that uh, Eric Prince is a knight of Malta and he's taken the cross to Iraq or whatever. There's just a lot of conspiracy theories, but I hope I did them a little bit of justice. There were bad people inside the Knights of Malta that leveraged their ability to move around the world, but it doesn't mean the organization did it. So you don't have any fear of retribution or that they're going to, you know, ask to have your book blocked or something because it characterizes this very, very rare ancient religious organization in, as the bad guy of the story. I don't think, I mean, if you Google Knights of Malta, they've got a hell of a lot more people saying that they're, you know, eating babies and stuff than me saying there was one bad guy in the organization who did this. I mean, there's more conspiracy theories about those guys that they'd be, I mean, you talk about whack-a-mole. I'm the least mole I need to whack. <laughs> Now dive deeper into End of Days and you'll find frightening real-world connections to the biblical prophecy of Armageddon. And only Pike Logan and the Task Force can save us. But beyond the pages of his novel lie the real-world events of today, which so often appear to be leading us to another world war. As Taylor was once a member of the Army unit tasked with some of the most classified operations in the military, I wanted to get his perspective on our tragic and fumbled exit from Afghanistan. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, well, first of all, I'll say that uh, I don't want to mischaracterize. Uh, a lot of people are saying, why do we pull the military out before we pulled out the civilians? Well, we pulled the military out because there was an order to pull the military out and there was an uh, intelligence estimate that it was safe to do so. Um, people say we should have never done that. Well, we've done it everywhere. We pulled the military out of Iraq. We didn't close the embassy in Iraq in 2011 or whenever it was. We pulled the, every military member left Iraq before ISIS formed up. We had the largest embassy in the world in Iraq. We didn't pull any of them out. Uh, so I think it's, you know, hindsight, Monday morning quarterbacking to say that, yeah, well, we're all stupid. We should have pulled everybody out before the military. We never do that. 
But having said that, we were also stupid to think the Taliban weren't knocking on the door. That Jalalabad fell the day before. Mazi Sharif, which used to be the giant uh, Taliban anti place, that's where, you know, Dostum, everybody was in Mazi Sharif. It had fallen two days before. There's key indicators that this is going badly. And I actually wrote another op ed about the day I thought Afghanistan died. There was a commando, the Kondaks, the commandos were doing all the fighting about 90% of it. And what they do is go clear out Taliban and then allow in the uh, ANF, the, the Afghan National Army to come in. And um, they were doing a fight one time. And this guy is, uh, he's a son of a general. He's basically Captain America wrapped in Saladin. Everybody in Afghanistan loved him. He was, his fiance was an American citizen. Uh, he'd been to Command General Staff College in the United States, just a big hero. And they took over, they cleared the Taliban out of a country or out of a town, and uh, the ANA refused to come in. And the Taliban came back. Eventually, there was no air support because we pulled all the maintenance from their fl- planes. We weren't doing air support, uh, and they all got executed on their knees. That made barely a ripple in the United States. I saw the story, and I was like, that's it. We're over. Because perception in insurgency is the biggest key there is. If you believe you're going to win, I mean, what person would go fight the entire state apparatus, unless he had a belief he was going to win. 1776. I mean, we had a belief we could beat the giant empire of Britain and we did. So perception is a huge component in insurgency. And that perception permeated the entire infrastructure of Afghanistan, which was the commandos, the finest force we have with Captain America in the head, just got shot in the back of the head on his knees. What point do I have serving? And everything started falling like dominoes at that point. And we should have seen that. When we had the ability to get everybody out, we chose, when you call a NEO, you you said NEO, it's non-combatant evacuation operation. When the State Department does that, it means we're pulling down the American flag, which is a huge thing. Every other country around us will then pull their flags down. So it means a lot. If you leave the flag flying, we still believe Afghanistan. It's almost a self-licking ice cream cone if you say, I'm pulling down the flag, therefore the country's going to fall because I pulled the flag down. So we said, well, this isn't a NEO. We're just kind of flying to the airport. It's okay. It's all, everything's fine. Everything's going great. Well, it wasn't going great. There's a time when you call a NEO. This is it. It's time. We're done. Flags down. Get everybody out. And we could have uh, penetrated Kabul. We could have controlled all of Kabul. Uh, there would have been gunfights and whatever, but, you know, we would have controlled it. And we could have controlled Karzai Airport. I think we should have kept Bagram Airfield. I think that was ridiculous to get rid of that, uh, especially with the prison that was there. The guy that blew everybody up, the suicide bomber, w- was let out of prison from Bagram, which we abandoned. I mean, it, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of a topic that's not, I mean, I'd have to talk for an hour, but. Amen. And I just love to, to hear even, you know, a couple of minutes of it because you have such a great op-ed. I encourage everybody, everybody to go to bradtaylorbooks.com and look under your blog, uh, the writing about how this Neo was executed, the writing about how uh, you couldn't believe what SecDef Lloyd Austin said uh, about how we can't get into certain places to save them. Um, your experience with these military men and women over there that can yeah, get things States done. What do you mean we can't get in there? 
I guarantee we can get in there. I know personally that the commander of the 82nd Airborne that was controlling that whole place is a good friend of mine. And I guarantee when I also know some classified stuff, I mean, we were penetrating. There were things right. we were doing, but we could have done a lot more. Mm, amazing read, man. And I, I've, I've actually shared it a couple of times to people that want to paint this whole thing as a partisan issue. Like, well, Trump didn't do this. Biden, his hands were tied. I, you know, people get into their, uh, right. They use partisan lenses to look at a deeply complex yeah. situation, and you actually nailed it here. Uh, actually talking about a Neo you lived through one time, although maybe not executed, but uh, when Cambodia was falling, uh, you were part of something called Operation Bevel Edge. And there as an SF guy, you had to be at the ready, drink through a fire hose, all the information you could about the players, the ground, the situation, and how to get people out safe. It can be done. It has been done. And we didn't do it. And right. it it just leaves a lot of vets with a hole in their heart. So uh, thank you for sharing kind of your insight on that. And again, thank you for this book end of days, Uh, you know, going from chasing Islamic terrorists to a religious organization that's hell bent on the end of days and creating the end of earth. Um, As always, Pike Logan, Jennifer, it's, it's great to see the task force rolling around the world, getting things done black ops style. And uh, again, end of days is out now anything else you care to share with us about the book no just i guess if you went to bradtaylorbooks.com you can read the excerpt of it and or excerpts of any of my books if you wanted to get a taste of it just see if you want to read it very cool my man hey when does the audiobook version come out i was looking for that in audible and can i say that if you want to listen to a book your voiceover artist that narrates these things does a phenomenal job i've enjoyed listening to two or three of them now when does the audible version come out Comes out same day. And actually, I've had to, I've gone back and it's Rich Orlo is his name. And I've gone back and forth with him because sometimes he reads, early on, he was reading stuff like, uh, you know, you and I would say, I'm going to the talk. He would read, I'm going to the TOC. And so I eventually I'd say, look, if you've got questions on acronyms and how to pronounce them, just send me some questions. So now he sends me questions each time about how do I say this acronym when I'm reading it? That's awesome. Hey, if you ever need a guest character to lend a voice to anything, I'd be, I'd be honored to be part of it, man. Honored to be part of it. <laughs> Special Forces veteran, uh, hero himself, Brad Taylor, author, best-selling author of End of Days. Really glad to sit down with you and have this conversation, man. Keep them coming. I love it. You keep me on the edge of my seat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a good time. Now, the cool part about hearing the podcast version of this weekly radio show is I get to share the extended version of our guests' interviews. Now, I recorded this with Brad on January 6th, which is, of course, a dark day in our nation's history, and the media has officially dubbed it the Capitol Insurrection. So as a veteran with actual experience watching the fall of governments in the far corners of the earth doing black ops, we'll end this week's podcast with his thoughts on what happened that day. And I think you'll find them fascinating. <clears throat> and we're recording. All right. First, before I do my reading, good to talk to you, Brad. Man, I loved the way American Trader ended with the uh, Taiwanese guy with a head cold, like a sniffle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I had to. that was a little bit of a wicker. I'm telling you that. I wrote that whole thing in COVID. And when I did all the research before COVID hadn't hit, and I was like, how am I going to deal with this? And so I said, you know what? I'm going to deal with it right at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> very, very cool. In fact, I was surprised reading this one. I thought it would pick almost right back up there because you had such a 
is such a dovetailed, you know, thing, but of course right, every, right. every book is unique and every book is uh, every, every book is good. So uh, uh, tip of the cap to you. Uh, we're recording this January 6th and you know, this day will always go down as one of those like really ugly days in our history, but uh, your thoughts on any of, you know, that situation, the Capitol riot, and, you know, I guess what I'm looking for you is with your vast military expertise, you have seen nations crumbling. You have been around regimes when they fall. You know, Delta doesn't go to the kind, gentle places. Yeah, just give me a few seconds on your thoughts on January 6th. Well, I mean, they were all they went to January 6th to do uh, uh, some kind of insurrection because they believed the big lie that this election was stolen. But I mean, I analyzed the election myself and. It, it literally makes no sense. So if you if you look at in the military aspects of things, you have strategic, operational, and tactical. They're all linked together. So strategically in World War II, I have to take Berlin to win the war. Operationally, I need these three bridges at Remagen and these three towns to get to Berlin. Tactically, how do I get off Omaha Beach? And if you look at that for uh, the election, strategically, voter fraud's not, uh, uh, doesn't, it doesn't, favor one party or the other. It's just fraud. It's a zero-sum game. So if you can do voter fraud, then you can do voter fraud. It's not a Democrats do it and Republicans don't type thing because the Republicans are prevented from doing it. And I looked at that and I was like, wait a minute. So, you know, uh, Donald Trump's got Paul Manafort, uh, um, Steve Bannon, he's got Roger Stone. All three of them have literally been convicted of fraud. Uh, Roger Stone calls himself a dirty trickster. And uh, he's got Richard Nixon tattooed between his shoulder blades. And so I'm supposed to believe that, uh, you know, the Republicans are piously standing back and the Democrats are the ones doing all this. And I, I don't believe that. If uh, I mean, I believe they're all corrupt. <laughs> I mean, really, if there was a way to sway that election, you wouldn't hear Donald Trump saying six months out that this is going to be rigged and, and ballots are going to be rigged and all this other kind of stuff. Because if he could have rigged it, he would have. He, he'd have done it. He wouldn't have said a word. And then operationally, you look at the way, um, so they had to take over all 50 states and sway votes in red states and in blue states. They had to sway them all. So in, you know, Georgia, which is a red state run by red people, he swayed the votes. That doesn't stand scrutiny, especially when you look at Virginia. Just so in 2020, they swayed a national election. In 2021, they couldn't sway the Virginia governor's race. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. They still had the ballot boxes and the mail-in voting and everything that everybody decried about being corrupt. And at the end of the day, the Republican won. And then tactically, if you look at it, the uh, um, they lost 26 House seats. There was a runoff in Georgia. I mean, if you're going to flip the ballots, why would you allow a runoff? Just make them win. And why would you allow 26 seats to be lost in the House? It was supposed to be this blue wave. Instead, 26 seats got lost to the Republicans. So how, I mean, what were the Democrats idiots when they did this huge machinations? It just doesn't hold water with me. Mm, fascinating the way you break that down. Um, last thing on that before we get started, but just wanted to ask, um, is it wrong to call this an insurrection? I hear that word thrown around all the time and they say, you know, they led the charge. They were on the front lines. This was an insurrection. I get how the, the whole thing went down, but an insurrection to me is a is an armed force ready to overthrow a government. Was this not just a mob of idiots or a, yeah. a mob of yeah, people? I, I, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, insurrection is a loaded term. 
And an insurrection is, is a, a military force that's, you know, laid the groundwork throughout the land to do this. And that wasn't this. This was basically just a, our mob going crazy. Although I will say, when anybody says, oh, it's a peaceful protest, peaceful protest. Did you see the pictures of those guys? Who shows up to a peaceful protest wearing body armor and Kevlar helmets and eyeglasses to protect themselves from paintball? I mean, uh, pepper balls. I mean, it's like, that's not peaceful. That's, these guys came for fight. They weren't, they were looking for a fight, but I, I agree. It's not a, you know, some kind of, an insurrection implies an absolute totality of, uh, you know, you've threaded the, the veins all the way through and you're ready to start it. Ted offensive is an insurrection. I often laugh when I see the people like I was there with my other Patriots and they were doing something. I'm like, what were you really going to do? You get inside and then they call the QRF from, uh, you know, Andrews. I mean, what do you do when you're staring down 10th mountain division? Ooh, you're a Patriot. What are you going to do? Hit him with your pole. Well, we're hitting with a pole saying you're a damn traitor. You're a damn traitor. I'm like, what in the hell? What went wrong with that guy? (laughs) Ah, the world we live in. And you thought your fiction was wild, Brad. Right. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.